It had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Had to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mathur. In each episode, I'll be chatting with a guest about one of their favorite romantic comedies from classics to modern hits. My guest today is Anya Novak. How are you? Hi, hello. Doing well. How are you today? Doing pretty well, too. Very excited to have you on for the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and, of um, course. Yeah, this is, this is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, I'm really excited to talk about the movie that you picked for this episode. Would you like to introduce it for us today? Sure, yeah. So I'm not much of a romantic comedy person. Uh, romance movies in general depress me for some reason. And so there are maybe like three or four that I like that are hard romance. And romantic comedies, are, are they, they kind of falter below that for me. And there are only a couple that, that fill me with that warm feeling and give me hope for ideal relationships in general. There's like City Lights with Charlie Chaplin. There's Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And both of which are more like rom- uh, comedies with a romance subplot. The only other one that I love that comes to mind is unique in that it it straddles three genres, really. And that's Warm Bodies. Uh, Warm Bodies is steeped in romance, comedy, and horror, but the horror for me is subverted enough to make it interesting, and it's subverted in a way that enhances the other two genres for me. Yeah, I mean, this is, I remember, like, seeing this movie in the theater, and um, this is, I think, back in 2013, I believe, Mm -hmm. and um, what I find so interesting about this movie is like how well it does the zombie as like a metaphor for a crush mm-hmm. and how much the inner monologue and sort of that um, like broken dialogue and that like awkwardness, that like clumsiness, it works so well both for like zombie characters and for this like, you know, new relationship. And, um, you know, with this movie being, like, a sort of, well, I guess it'd be a futuristic, uh, like, Romeo and Juliet adaptation. And it, like, doesn't hit too hard on that. Like, there, I mean, there are parallels with the characters, and there are, like, some scene parallels, but it's not, like, trying to do the, like, um, thing where it's, like, you know, a one-to-one adaptation is just inspired by, but... Yeah, I think that's such a fun concept. And, you know, like how they do the, like, you know, the two sort of feuding families becomes like humans versus zombies. And it's about like coming together. So, yeah, I mean, this movie is, I think, a really unique movie. And I'm really glad that you picked it. Do you remember the first time you saw it or um, anything? I did. I did see it in the theater when it came out. And, um, and in, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is 2013. And, um, yeah, I remember being blown away by it. And even at that time, I was I was not happy with romance movies or, or anything like them. And that one really uh, it surprised me. And I, I like it when a movie surprised me. I respect movies more when they surprise me. And uh, this one really did. And, and romance-wise, 
it, like you said, at times it's pretty on the nose, um, and other times it's it's completely uh, subverting and, and different. Um, his name is the zombie's name is R, and the girl's name is Julie, and his best friend is named M, as in Marcus. But it's also kind of like a stand-in for Mercutio, uh, yeah. uh, Romeo's love skeptical bestie. And there's even a balcony scene where where R comes to see Julie. But outside of that. And there is the the warring family aspect, but outside of that, it's a pretty cool romance story that that extends beyond the two characters and works on a macro level for society as a whole. And and that's what I really really dug about it. Like I find this this sort of like central concept of you know like they are like um, that. There's like two kinds of zombies, right? Like mm-hmm. there's ones like R who is like kind of I guess like in some ways, like, halfway between, like, living human and, you know, someone who's, like, like the Walking Dead type. Right. And then there's, like, the really, like, gone, like, the ones who are, like... Yeah. Um, like the bonies. The bonies, right. They're just, like, too, too far gone in the process, and they've lost everything. And so I find that really interesting because, like, it allows for... Um, for, it, you know, kind of allows for that, like, zombie ap- apocalypse, like, that sort of ending of, like, you know, like, the military thing and stuff. And then, mm-hmm. but it also, like, tells you, like, oh, like, these zombies, like, like the ones, like, R and, you know, M are just, you know, they just had it, like, they can be brought back. And, you know, it, I mean, every movie I watch reminds me of, like, you know, politics, unfortunately. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, you know, this movie is, like, kind of the thing of, like, oh, you know, we can, like, bring people to, you know, back back from their, like, you know, drone thinking mm-hmm. to, like, you know, being actual human beings. Whether, I mean, maybe it's a little too idealistic for me to think of, think of this movie that way, but that's what I thought of. And, uh, yeah, I, mean, I just think that, like, I really liked that... Um, that like even this movie being between like a human woman and like a zombie guy, like there's still some hope there, and mm-hmm. like it, it, I like that it plays to both like the romantics at heart, like myself, and people who are like more into like the genre, the horror part of it, like yourself. Yeah, yeah, it, it really satisfies both, and I think that's why it's such a like memorable, fun movie. Mm-hmm, and um. To the to the zombie side of it, you had yeah. mentioned that it, it does get political, and that's totally, as far as zombie genre goes, that's totally on purpose. They they steep their stuff in social commentary, and they have since oh maybe since Night of the Living Dead, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so you know that's it's really cool that they can extend that even into an, a whole other genre, into what what some might consider to be the opposite genre, which would be romance. Um, there are a lot of liberties taken with the zombie genre in this movie, and it does it does kind of irk a few people, a, a few zombie nerds, because the the those bonies, the, uh, the the gaunt zombies, they can sprint despite being in an advanced state of decay. It does kind of it, it is a little illogical, um, and they can sprint more so than the freshly dead zombies like R and M. But you know, I, I'd forgive that because. For one thing, running zombies are nothing new. We, we've seen them in 20 day, 28 Days Later before uh, uh, Warm Bodies. We'd seen them in Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. And we'd seen them as far back as for, for the real horror nerds for in Umberto Lenzi's uh, Nightmare City in 1980. 
but they're still threatening. They're still scary. And they freak me out on a higher level because of the inhumanity that they represent. They're, they're indistinguishable from each other, at least R and M. They, they, I mean, you could tell them apart. These, these bonies, they all look exactly the same. All of the markers that make them human are gone, which is why I think they're necessary um, relative to the, the fresh zombies, I guess we could call them. Um, there, are, there are gradual changes to the zombies. Uh, normally in zombie movies, they, they only change negatively. They only starve and deteriorate. They, they don't change for the better. But in this movie, they improve. Their gait changes. They lose their rotten scent as they become more human. They formulate coherent sentences. The color returns to their skin. Mm-hmm. But it, that's not unheard of either um, in movies of, of, about the undead. In Day of the Dead, uh, George Romero, 1985, one of his zombies, Bub, he learns how to salute an officer, answer a phone, fire a pistol. And in Romero's Line of the Dead in, in 2005? It, I think that was 2005. He takes it even further by having the zombies open doors and walk underwater like the Nazi zombies in shockwaves. Um, they can fire two-handed weapons like rifles. So intelligent, progressing zombies aren't that outlandish, canon-wise. And I'm also not sure if this is the first instance on screen of masking one's scent with with zombie viscera, like where he, he kind of wipes the blood on Julie to, to uh, mask her scent so that she can be safe, as he says. <laughs> I remember The Walking Dead did it too, but I'm not sure who did it first. Um, but clearly it's it's unorthodox to have a zombie that can speak fl- fairly clearly and cognitively have empathy for and and act on behalf of a living person. That, that does go against the general rules of the zombie archetype, which represents this lack of humanity or an inhumane reliance on man's vices, uh, like, like consumerism in Dawn of the Dead. But the subgenre is pretty malleable you can you can do a lot with it and it changes with each movie and it changes with each era of social change even with the same director like george romero um even with casting if you put a black actor in the lead role like in night of the living dead or the girl with all the gifts the socio uh political commentary and the diamond dynamic completely shifts um and it becomes uh, a racial commentary and that's all to say, all of that is to say that this movie breaks horror rules, but in an innovative, good way. And people should chill out when they're whining about, you know, <laughs> illogical uh, zombie rules being broken. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the thing is that zombies, unfortunately, are not real. So yeah, like, um, the rules can be changed. And, you know, I think like when you say it like that, but like I'm surprised there hasn't been more romance movies with zombies in it because like it can be so um like the rules can change and it can you know be less violent or less scary and more just a metaphor and um like like transferring like that those genre elements into you know, a different, I mean, like, that's what I, lo- I mean, I do love horror movies, um, even as someone who, like, loves romance as well. Like, I really enjoy mm-hmm. horror. Um, and I love that horror can be, you know, um, like, changed around, like, um, like, as you said, malleable, like, that's a great word for it. Like, it can, mm-hmm. it can adapt into different, like, subgenres as well. And, Usually, like, you know, there's, like, the horror comedy, like, there's sci-fi horror, action horror, that whatever. And I think doing, like, a romance horror makes a lot of sense because I think that, um, like, the anxiety, I think, in horror can also be anxieties in relationships. And, um, this, and you know, this idea of someone being, 
like someone being like brought back to life by love is, I mean, it's a thing we see in a, I mean, I think people have seen in a lot of romantic comedies, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, especially like, um, especially with like the manic pixie dream girl thing, like that's such oh, a, yeah. like, I mean, like Julie in this movie played by Teresa Palmer, I mean, she's pretty much a manic pixie dream girl, almost in like the most like literal sense in that, like she literally brings this kind of like robotic, you know, unfeeling guy back into like, back into life. And it's, it's a thing you see in movies like 500 days of summer and Elizabeth town and all those types of movies where it's like, this guy just is like literally walking around like a zombie. And then he meets this like, you know, cute quirky girl. And now he's like a normal person again. And then this is that to the extreme. And I mean, I think that trope as like kind of tired as it is can also be really fun to watch. And I think in this warm bodies, I think, uh, the director, uh, Jonathan Levine, or Levine, he does it pretty well. And I think he uses that zombie metaphor to make it more, you know, uh, palatable and not as cliche or annoying as mm-hmm. it, it can be in, you know, lesser movies. You know, I was going to ask you if if uh, uh, Julie actually counts as a manic pixie dream girl, because I wasn't sure. I, I was honestly not sure just because she's so practical and straightforward. And yeah, yeah. I think I think you hit on something where it's it's not so much her aesthetic. You know, she doesn't have to have colored hair or be goofy or quirky. It's more in the fact that she's kind of an agent for change for uh, for R. Yeah, I mean, like the manic pixie dream girl, like I think there are a few different definitions it's kind of i mean i i use it as a shorthand for this kind of story but you know they're definitely a very specific like it's a very specific character type but Mm -hmm. it also can be used as a shorthand because you hardly ever see a movie with the like the gender is reversed you know right um and so i think it just becomes like any kind of movie where there is like some you know pretty girl who is at least somewhat more lively than, uh, but than the guy, and you know, he learns. In this to case, like it's literal. Literal, exactly. And like, <laughs> I think, like in some, like I actually kind of think of this as like maybe not a total satire, minute, minute pixie dream girl movies, but definitely a um, like a inversion or not inversion, but definitely like a reworking of that premise. Because you're right, she is very practical. She's not a damsel in distress. She's not. Uh, a scared, quirky girl. She's not, you know, doing, like, you know, um, one thing that, like, one sort of trope, or, like, one part of this uh, dream girl trope is that, like, she does petty crime or has these, like, quirky habits and, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, the colored hair, etc. And, like, Julie doesn't have that at all. And, and she's a very, like, level-headed, grounded character and probably the most grounded character in the movie. Right. But um, I would say she kind of fits the, like, umbrella term of that but yeah she definitely um in i mean some ways she's she's the hero of the story i mean she may not be the protagonist but she's definitely like the hero right because like she's the one that's really fighting for the like the justice you know within this Mm -hmm. post-apocalyptic kind of scenario and she's the one i mean she's the one that saves him in the end with her you know quote-unquote true love's kiss 
Right. So she she may not be aesthetically a manic pixie dream girl, but she's functionally one. She's functionally one, and I think that they definitely. I'm sure that like the literalness of this sort of bring you back to life thing wasn't lost on the filmmakers, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure that they tried hard not to make her that like that sort of like um uh like um like that nymph kind of like cutesy thing. I'm sure they. Yes, like really Natalie hard- Portman in Garden State. Exactly, yeah. She's definitely <laughs> the like antithesis of that, and I think by by design. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. And and Teresa Palmer, she's as Julie, she's she's practical, but she's also warm, and she's not naive. She's um, not not really childlike, but once she has a reason to trust someone, she's all in and actively chooses to see the best in them. And in the movie, um, and I think in life, it's it's a character quality that's aspirational. It's something that that everybody um, should treat as the ideal. Yeah, definitely. Look, uh, what do you think about her performance, um, Teresa Palmer? And I mean, I don't know if you have any opinions on her as an actress in general, either. You know, the the only other movie I had seen her in, I think, was uh, Lights Out in 2016. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a horror movie, go figure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and she was... She was good in that. She was very emotive, very expressive. But I was surprised in this movie to find that actually the more emotive one was a zombie. It was Nicholas Holt. Yeah. Um, I, I don't yeah. know if that's due to, to bad acting on her part or great acting on his part. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I think she was capable. I think she did fine. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, Teresa Palmer, I mean, I, I definitely do want to talk to Nicholas Holt, but I want to start with her just because I kind of have, like you, I kind of have less to say about her. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I like her in general and I've seen her, like, I saw her in Lights Out as well. And um, I saw her, you know, she had like a, I think she was the wife character in Hacksaw Ridge. Um, the oh, wife right, to, right, right. Yeah, yeah, Andrew Garfield. And, you know, she also did this, she did this movie, um, Take Me Home Tonight. Um, with uh, Topher Grace. It's like this 80s romantic comedy, which I actually just watched during lockdown mm-hmm. on, on Netflix. Kind of a forgettable movie, but like in that movie, she was very much the like the girl, you know, and without, uh-huh. without having that sort of like practical thing. I mean, yeah, I agree. Like I thought she was capable. I mean, she certainly very, um, has a lot of charisma on screen. But, um, yeah, I mean, this isn't really the kind of role that really demands a lot of her. I think that there's, right. like, there's so much potential, I think, for that, for her character. And I think that's, like, on the surface, it's, like, kind of there, but not as much. But, yeah, definitely Nicholas Holt. I mean, this was, I want to say this was one of the first movies I saw of him that mm. I was, well, no, I sorry. I saw him in Skins when he was on the BBC show. Yeah, I saw Like, him. way back, like, you know, I think in the 2000s and then he was of course in a single man which is a movie i love but i think this was his first like major like leading role that i saw him in and he i was very impressed by him right yeah this is before fury road yeah um, yeah before tolkien before like a lot of the stuff that that he's known for now so yeah yeah i'd say that uh yeah before this it was just skins and and 
And he, he did great in this movie, I thought. Um, he's, he's adorable. He's a little cinema role in this movie um, as R. And he's, he's able to do a lot within the physical restrictions of playing a zombie. Um, his eyes are very expressive. And he has that puppy dog quality that makes you want to help him and protect him. Yeah. And, and his flaw is a very big one. He eats people. And he admits that even though he can't help it, it also feels really good to do it. Um, it's an interesting kind of macabre twist, I thought, on the player archetype. You know, someone who consumes others with this, with no real romantic impulse towards them. Yeah. And I'm, I might be, you know, sometimes the curtains are just blue and they don't mean anything. And, and sometimes, you know, I'm just reading way too much into uh, an archetype or a character. But I, I did think that he was kind of like a player archetype and that his consumption of others was just a literal one until he meets the right girl and, and kind of eats the right brain that connects him to her. I think you're definitely onto something there because, you know, when he eats uh, Perry's brains, and this is the character mm-hmm. played by uh, Dave Franco, who's sort of the Paris substitute, you know, in this Romeo and Juliet <laughs> yeah. adaptation, like, he um, starts to, like, experience his memories. And, like, that's how he falls in love with Julie is through, through like, the memories of through Perry's memories of her. And that's what also leads to his sort of going back to being human. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's a metaphor for being a player. And it's such a, um, like, he, like the way he dresses, like, it's very much that, like, 2000s, 2010s kind of <laughs> yeah. version of a player, which is, like, the hoodie, the, like, you know, kind of slacker thing, and um, like he's the emo hair, emo hair, right? And I mean, definitely this movie. This movie comes out like right after the Twilight movies are mm-hmm. finished. I definitely want to talk about the connection to like Twilight and the sort of like YA fantasy sci-fi um, like craze that went on in the two thousands. But I mean, I, I, yeah, I like what you said about the consumption because, yeah, it makes literal this thing of someone who just like takes and takes until he like learns how to give. And also reminded me of those, like, that rom-com trope of, like, the guy who, like, stalks the girl and learns mm-hmm. everything about her so he could, like, become her, like, perfect boyfriend. And uh, I think this movie does that as well through, like, these, like, memories that he has. And he is, like, learning how to become, like, closer to her. And, uh, yeah, and, like, um, Nicholas Holt, I mean, he's definitely someone who, like, I mean, he's... Obviously, he's a very handsome person. Mm-hmm. Like, he's very attractive, but um, in some of his best roles, like, he, like, distorts his, like, good looks. Like, in, mm-hmm. you know, Mad Max, where he's, like, emaciated, and, like, The Favor, where he has that, like, ridiculous wig. Um, and in this oh, movie, yeah. where he's, like, you know, like, rotting and smelly and, you know, like, pale beyond pale. But in some ways, like, it, like you, I kind of was, like, I can see how he might be like a swoon character towards the end because like it's like he's like you know as, like as he becomes like more like in love more getting closer to humans you kind of see how much that like that zombie like um his like z- zombie like kind of antics like you know eating brains and whatever mm-hmm. like it's just a um like a mask for someone who's like lonely and anxious and depressed and just, you know, just needs someone to like bring him back to that, which is what Julie does. Right. It can be read as like a coping mechanism for yeah. a, for a player. Yeah, right. exactly. 
How'd you die? I don't remember. How old are you? Because you could be 20-something, but you could also be a teenager. You know, you have one of those faces. Oh, my God. And I can't even smell. You don't smell rotten. He doesn't smell rotten. Amazing. Nora, I didn't come here for an interview. Stop. What did you come here for? To, to show everyone. Show them what? We can change. Are no one here is ever gonna buy that? Not that we could get you even close enough to tell them. As soon as they saw you, they would blow your head to bits. Wait a minute. Did you say we? Lots of us changing. Dreaming. That's kind of a big deal. We have to move fast. What do you mean? Bonnie's chasing me. Chasing us. Okay, we have to go to my dad. No, that is a very bad idea. No, nor he was a reasonable guy once. Oh. No, no, I think you were confused. It was your mom that was the reasonable one. It was your dad that grounded you for a year for stealing peach schnapps. Are you serious? It's your dad that likes to shoot corpses in the head. What other choice do we have, Nora? <sighs> Still, we'd have to get him through the city. Someone would definitely see you. There's not much time. You could fix him up. What? I have some makeup that I was saving for a special occasion that obviously isn't going to happen. And... Yeah, yeah, we could. I mean, we could put on a little bit of foundation, maybe a little blush. Probably a lot of blush. No way. Yeah, way. You know, I was looking up a couple of clips from from YouTube uh, here and there to kind of give me some notes to and some talking points. And when I was watching a couple of these scenes, like especially the one where he, uh, spoiler alert, where he he sort of turns back human um, fully, uh, the comments underneath were just chock full of women who were saying, "Actually, he's hotter as a zombie," <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious because this guy—he was, you know, he's gaunt and emaciated, and he ate people. He's, he's a very flawed character, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the women were going for it, totally, and men—they were all going for it. Well, you know, like that reminds me of sort of the what I call the Beauty and the Beast paradox. You know, mm. like there's so many people that I know, myself included who like the beast as the beast and like especially in the cartoon like when he becomes human again like he's attractive but like he kind of has that like kind of bland you know hot guy face there's just nothing no personality <laughs> there and you're just you like calling me out here i had a crush on the beast but not on the human beast. <laughs> no it's true and like that's and that, that, i think that's very much like a universal thing i think and like um and i can see yeah like because when like, when R is the zombie, that's when you have that, um, like, you can change him. And, you know, there's the, the fantasy is there of he's someone that's, like, hurting and needs to be nurtured and taken care of and brought back to life. And he's also someone that can, like, protect you because he can eat anyone who comes for you. So, like, the fantasy, and I think that, I mean, this actually was, well, is a good segue to the Twilight thing. Because I think that, like, what makes these sort of monster characters so, like, such, like, heartthrobs is that, like, they're, they're a little bit dangerous, a little bit edgy, but 
at their core, you know, that it's a bad boy thing. Like, they're yes. a little edgy, they're a little, you know, sketchy, but at their core, they're, like, total romantics, you know, lost boys who, like, need to be taken care of. Yes, they tap into that, I can fix him. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> and, He's a bad boy, but he just needs <laughs> the, right, the right touch. That's all he needs. Yeah, and, like, that's definitely the fantasy that these movies, like, have, and I think it's a very powerful one. Um, and I think, like, this movie coming out, like, I just made that connection just now, like, Twilight ended, I think, in 2012, or 2011, and this movie comes out, like, one or two years after that, and I think in some ways, like, this is, again, sort of, like, a edgier, kind of more, like, winking look at that Twilight dynamic of, like, the human woman and the, like, monster. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot yeah. of that that heroin chic aesthetic that that yeah, gaunt, yeah. pale skinny jeans wearing kind of uh, kind of exactly. look that yeah. was all the rage at the time and and kind of still is to a degree. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, like that. I mean, uh, that YA fantasy is like I remember that being a very powerful time because mm-hmm. like there were so many movies like that, so many books like that. I think, like, Hunger Games was, like, kind of like that, but, like, well, there weren't any monsters in it, but, like, that, again, that, like, her- that like heroin chic look and sort of these, like, soft boys. Soft boys, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> these sad, pretty boys. Um, I, I did want to get, kind of pick your brain, brain on, like, John Malkovich and that, you know, that aspect of the plot, because... I have to say, I really enjoy the dynamic between R and Julie, and I like the zombie rom-com part of it, but the, sort of, like, the, the, when it gets to, like, the real plot of it, I kind of loses me, but I'm wondering if it loses you as well, or if you enjoy that part. Uh, a little bit here and there, but I, yeah. I kind of, I dug it overall. Um, I'm always baffled by John Malkovich's choices post-2000. Um, mm-hmm. He just kind of, he picks the strangest projects that, that he doesn't really have to pick, because uh, he's John Malkovich, but... I um I'm I'm grateful that he did this this <laughs> this rom com. Um, I liked the parallels that they they kind of drew between the the Bonies and Julie's father, um, mm-hmm. who is so so blinded by hatred and pain and grief that he wasn't able to see that the zombies were changing until he literally shot R in the chest and saw that he was bleeding. Therefore, he must be alive because corpses don't bleed. Right. Both. Both he and the the Bonies were these unthinking killing machines, and and R, um, R calls the Bonies too far gone to change, and Julie's father was almost that way, um, but the cure for everyone, including uh, uh, Julie's father, was was acceptance and love, and so I, I did appreciate that part of it. Um, he was kind of a, a very on the nose archetype in in from from what I've seen of rom com movies. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that like in some ways, I think this movie tried to like have its cake and eat it too. You know, mm-hmm. where, where like it wants to be this sort of like goofy zombie rom com that's like kind of a you know tongue in cheek look at Romeo and Juliet, but then it also wanted to like deliver that like kind of sci fi like you know world saving plot. And I guess you like. I don't know. I mean, I would have preferred me a little bit more of a small scale thing, but I mean, I like John Malkovich, you know, and I think that like he makes it work. I mean, I think he's a very strange actor, like you said, especially in this era, but I think he, Mm -hmm. you know, it's fine. Like it doesn't like, I'm not like bored or like over it, but it just kind of like, 
I guess for me being like the like the romance guy, I'm like I kind of want uh-huh. more of like more scenes of like his like ours makeover, you know, with Annalie Tipton playing pretty woman <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> that like, scene was great, yeah. Uh, that was, and uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned the the clip. Like, I watched the clip of that scene again, and like you're right, the comments were all like, you know, oh my god, like my theater gasped at you know when they show his back and like he lo- yeah he oh, looks yeah. better as a zombie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was thirsty. The comments oh were thirsty. Oh my god, man. Never, under- <laughs> and never underestimate, you know, teen girls and teen boys mm-hmm. thirsting after, you know, someone. In these mm-hmm. movies. But, um, I, yeah, actually, speaking of Annalie Tipton, I do want to bring her up because, um, I'm like, she doesn't do a lot of movies, but I'm like, she, like, she pops up in, in this sort of time frame as, like, random like supporting roles and she's like very funny in them like she mm-hmm. did this and crazy stupid love which i covered on the podcast last year um and uh she yeah she's you know she's i would yeah i wish we would do more she kind of like kind of came and went during this time but she's pretty pretty funny and um i took me a lot longer than i'm proud of to put her as the nurse Mm. And then, like, when she's like, oh, I want to be a nurse. And I was like, oh, my God, of course. Like, that's who her parallel is. <laughs> I just didn't <laughs> she, put um, She's great. She's uh, She's got really good comedic timing as that, that yeah. sort of plucky, plucky best friend. Um, yeah. And she, she does a lot with, with what she's given. You know, she doesn't get a lot of screen time. But with, with what she's given, she she cracked me up. But just as much as, as Rob Corddry, um, as, as M. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's kind of, I guess they're both kind of staples of the rom-com genre, right? Like both of them are, are kind of like, there, there's, there's male besties just as much as female besties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Rob Corddry is someone who definitely has popped up in his fair share. Like he was in like, um, just looking at his thing now, uh, he was in, um, what happens in Vegas, you know, with Cameron Diaz, he was in, mm-hmm. he had like a, a couple scenes in failure to launch. So he's like around this time, um, really funny in this movie as well. I mostly know him from like daily show and children's hospital. Um, <laughs> I'm know. embarrassed to say that I know him from hot tub time machine. <laughs> <laughs> Look, hot tub time machine, you know, it's a, it's a fun movie. Um, <laughs> what, what else? Oh, I also wanted to bring up the cinematographer. Because oh. it's like, you know, like a movie like this, you don't really think it would have like a really qualified cinematographer because it's kind of a small scale movie. But it's um, Javier Aguirre-Risalve, a Spanish cinematographer who's like worked like, he's been all over. Like he did The Others, he did Talk to Her, he did... Um, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. He did two of the Twilight movies, you know. Um, <laughs> That's fitting. Uh, he did Thor Ragnarok. Like, he's done a lot of really good stuff. Um, but, and this, I mean, like, I should have known that it was a kind of cinematographer who knew what he was doing because I think the movie looked pretty good and definitely, like, does, like, had some really fun, um, you know, shots and, like, a really. Um, interesting kind of shot compositions and lighting. So, uh, yeah. I'm seeing that he did Thor Ragnarok and The Road, which are two very, very differently shot movies. Yeah, yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, he's. I wish I could pronounce his name properly, but (laughs) out of respect for him, but he's, uh, yeah, he's pretty great. And um, 
I will. Have you seen any of the any other movies directed by Jonathan uh, Levine? Have I? Let me let me. Let me. I got my phone out. Let's see. I'm gonna um I'm gonna run them through. He directed uh fifty fifty rush um the night before mm-hmm. uh snatch the Amy Schumer movie and long uh, long shot which is last year's um you know political romantic comedy with Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. So he he's had a, done a lot of like comedies and um. Mostly, like, romance. Also, oh, he directed this movie, All the Boys Love Manny Lane, which is, like, a slash. Oh, movie. I know that one. I know that yeah. one. <laughs> With, uh, it's very Amber. good. Yeah, I, I, I have not been able to find it but or catch it, but I've heard it's pretty good. I, I'm interested in it because um, I like him as a director. I Like, I really like the movie that he made, um, 50-50, which was, with, like, with that uh, Jorson Gordon-Levitt, like, he gets cancer... And it's just, it's like a kind of like more serious comedy about him dealing with like chemotherapy and, mm-hmm. you know, people being like fake, you know, um, fake supportive, like fake sympathy, kind of like a um, more like a wry comedy about cancer, which is, I thought, very effective. Um, also with like Seth Rogen and Anna Kendrick and Bryce Ellis Howard. So, and The Night Before is a really like kind of wacky, um, like R-rated Christmas movie, which is very funny. Um, with yeah. the night it's before that yeah, oh my god just, that's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt too and yeah he's like yeah he and Joseph Gordon-Levitt like did like a number of movies together I believe they're like like close friends well I mean like before they started working together I think they knew each other um, I'm, yeah, I'm surprised yeah. Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt wasn't in Warm Bodies in some capacity but yeah, I'm seeing a lot of repeat actors within his filmography here. Yeah. He's definitely he's got his favorites. Um, but yeah, um Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? Any final thoughts on Warm Bodies? I'm trying to think if there's anything. We mentioned the makeover scene, which I think was the best scene in the movie, or at least the most fun. You know, I I I liked how one of the complaints that I had read about the the film is that, you know, R speaks and, and that he's not supposed to and um, and that the movie was too sentimental. But I I think a lot of people who are coming at it like that are coming at it from the zombie side of, of the defense, um, which is a very unsentimental uh, genre. It's it's very nihilistic and, and cosmic re- cosmically realistic and says that we're all going to die and it doesn't matter and... and we've doomed ourselves. And so that, that makes sense in a, in, in one respect, but also if R didn't speak, um, as is expected of zombies, and if he didn't access memories of his victims by consuming their brains, and there's no way to make a, there's no story. There's no way to make a connection with Julie. Um, and this movie is about connection and it's about how romantic love is built upon connection. R becomes infatuated with Julie, uh, after eating her boyfriend and he cultivate, cultivates a connection with her through deeds, through saving her skin over and over again because she's kind of stubborn and she keeps trying to escape um, and protecting her from his own people. And through that, he changes and becomes more human. And what I love about this movie is that love doesn't just happen to you. You're not a passive agent in it. It's it's cultivated like a plant. In, in warm bodies, love is a verb and it's an action that you have to consciously commit to day after day and that's what makes you more human. Um, it's not something that, that occurs to you. It's something that you do every day. And um, I, as unsentimental of a person as I am and as much as I love the, the 
Debbie Downer endings. Um, this movie uh, really did it for me, and it worked the zombie subgenre in a way that um, was beneficial and innovative. Yeah, totally, totally agree with you there. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think what I really like about this film is that, you know, you're right, like, it, it you know, it, it blends the genres really well, and I think it works really mm-hmm. well. It uses the zombies as a very, you know, kind of intriguing metaphor for relationships, and... You know, I, I mean, I guess, like, the zombie, like, speaking, that, that, like, the zombie speaking part of it that you mentioned earlier, like, to me, like, that, like, you're right, like, it just needs to happen for the story, and, like, what I like about zombie movies, and most of these sort of, like, monster movies, like, vampires, werewolves, that you can, like, you know, twist the mythology a little to, like, suit mm-hmm. your story, and it doesn't have to be one thing all the time, and what I find so, like, what I find so refreshing about warm bodies is how much it, um, like how much it like really uses the zombie metaphor really well as a love story. And it, um, it does do like some really interesting things with the zombie mythology, you know, with involving the bonies and how like there's different shades of it. And, um, yeah, yeah, I really, really appreciate this movie. Um, I can easily recommend it. I think it's a really easy movie to watch. You know, it's oh yeah, it's barely it's like about an hour and a half or so. And uh, yeah, it was a great watch. Thank you so much for suggesting it again. Um, Anya, where can people find you online? What are you, like what are you working on these days? I see. You can mostly find me screwing around on Twitter. I am at Bookish Plinko. That's B-O-O-K-I-S-H. Plinko is in the Price is Right game. I was kind of drunk when I made up my Twitter name. I Now I got to keep it because I have a lot of followers. So I got I just I, I got to keep it now. I can't, I can't change it. Um, I'm on there. Uh, I have a website, AnyaWrites.com, A-N-Y-A rights.com and that's where you can find all of my clips wherever I am I write for Fangoria, formerly for Birth Movies Death, uh, uh, Dread Central, uh, several outlets and they're they're constantly changing and I'm constantly trying to get more work so uh, you can always read my work there Yes, thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zamanish89, that's T-H-E-M-A-N-I-S-H-8-9 also, you can find my writing at a couple of different places, like Talk to Society and Junk Cut and a few other places. Um, please follow the podcast at the Pod to you. Um, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to help people find the show. Um, and yeah, Anya, again, thank you so much for do- uh, taking the time to do this. I hope, you know, I hope you had a good time talking about romance and that, um, you know, Maybe you might be inspired to watch more romance movies because they're a lot of fun, <laughs> and I will watch I will. more zombie movies. Because like when you went off that, when you were talking about like zombie movies in general earlier, I was like making a mental note to be like, I need to watch some of these because like I've never seen anything by George Romero, and I'm very curious about. Oh, about you're in for a treat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, have a good time with those. I'm, I'm interested to see what you think of those just because you're you're romantic and you, yeah. you have have hope. <laughs> so I'm well, interested to see how, the, how those hit you. Well, just the other day I watched The Last House on the Left, and that was a very oh. trying experience for me. <laughs> <laughs> you had a tough time with that? I mean, you know, that's that's normal. You're a normal I, person, and that's that's okay. <laughs> well, I was a big boy, and I didn't pause it. I mean, I might as well watch it all the way through. Woo! So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again, and uh, to listeners, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy the show, and hope you have a good week. Thanks. Thank you, Manish. <laughs>